Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so, so good to us, so faithful every step of our lives. And today, may we rest in your faithfulness and trust it. Even now, as we come to your word, would you speak to us in your faithfulness to speak to us? I pray that you would guide us into truth, help us leave here trusting you more than we do now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How do you feel about the future? Maybe some really great things are happening in your life right now, so you're feeling really good about the future. You're optimistic, hopeful. Or maybe life hasn't been going very well, or you see some tough stuff coming down the pipe. So when you think about the future, you're apprehensive pessimistic, anxious. I have a feeling that most of us, if we're being honest, is, are more on the anxious side of things. Oh, long term, we believe Jesus is coming back and he'll set everything right again. But until then, the world in many ways seems to be deteriorating around us. Morality is dissolving. Cultures are splintering, economies are crumbling, viruses, wars, natural disasters, and climate change all make life feel quite fragile. Everything's so polarized and politicized with no clear way up out of our messes. We even have literal UFOs being shot out of our Canadian skies. <laughs> As Christians, we fear waning influence and rising opposition for our children's or grandchildren's futures. And that's before we get to any of the personal problems arising in our lives. What's going to happen? Where's it all going to go? It all seems so unstable and uncertain. So what's a Christian to do in the face of this foreboding future? In a word, have faith. Have faith. Now, I mean that in the least cliche way possible. We must cling to our faith in the Lord. Because his people have been through far worse before. And he has always proven himself faithful, like we just say. Arguably, one of the best barometers of how much faith we are putting in him is our prayer life. And if I took a poll, I suspect most of us would feel we don't pray like we believe we ought to. Maybe we doubt it does any good. Maybe we've come to doubt that God is any good, that he cares about us at all. But our basic problem in either case is a deficiency of faith. We're really anemic in our faith. And I'm preaching to myself just as much as I am to you. 
But I have a dilemma as a preacher. Because I can't just tell you today, have more faith. It doesn't work that way. Because faith has to come from the heart. Which is where only God can work. So I've been praying that the Holy Spirit will work in your hearts today. And that far more than hearing my words, that you'll hear Jesus' words to you. So if you would, please open a Bible with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, where we'll see another key aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, really walking in the way of Jesus. And that is for today, that his followers learn to pray with faith. We learn to pray with faith. And if that doesn't describe you yet, don't be discouraged. This is something we can all grow into as God keeps transforming our hearts. Now, this is is not the first time that Jesus brought prayer up in his Sermon on the Mount here. At the beginning of chapter 6, he gave a number of instructions about prayer, telling us to pray without trying to be seen or noticed, often in secret, telling us to pray with simplicity, not just rambling on with many words. And then comes that comes right before the most famous teaching on prayer ever, in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gave us a model of how to pray and what to pray for. And you can likely recite it with me from memory. Okay, so let's do it. Well, I'll put it on the screen if you don't know it. Okay, but our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hope you don't just say that, but you pray it. Towards the end of chapter 6, Jesus also addresses our anxiety. Urges us to have faith. Since we are more valuable to God than birds and flowers, and God takes care of them. If you look with me at the end of the chapter, in verse 30, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now that very much provides the backdrop to what we'll read today. As he motivates us to pray with faith by giving us some great and precious promises. Look with me in verse 7 of chapter 7. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, And you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Sadly, these verses often seem troubling to us. We'll get to why soon. 
But really, that's a, a tragic irony because that's the opposite effect of what Jesus wants for here, wants for us. He, what he intends for us. He wants us to be untroubled, comforted, confident, encouraged by these words, full of faith. His words are exactly what we need to hear in the midst of troubled times and uncertain futures. In lives of un, in, full of uncertainty and instability, in all manner of need, what do we need to hear? I think it's these words. I think Jesus tells us here that we can and should approach God with our prayer requests. Yes, we can and we should approach God with our prayers, our petitions and requests. And some of us today need to hear that we should do this because we haven't been praying much. But it's good for us. And others of us need to hear that we can do this because we doubt God's accessibility or his care, but he's good to us. And we need to know that he welcomes us into his presence to pray. Now, prayer is, is broader than just requests. It's more than just making petitions to God. It can include praise, thanksgiving, confession, lament, and more. But there's no question that, the, that prayer largely consists of making requests. Just think of the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed. It's all requests that we make to God our Father. We ask for his name to be hallowed. Ask for his kingdom to come. Ask for his will to be done. Ask for our daily bread. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for deliverance from evil. And that's why Jesus frames it this way here in chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In addition to asking, he gives us the imagery of, of seeking after treasure or knocking on a door. Now, some suppose that seeking and knocking are more intense forms of asking. It's possible. But it's more likely Jesus is just rephrasing and, and recoloring the point for emphasis, saying that the same thing three different ways. Ask, seek, knock, like keep going. And on that note, it's actually important to know that Jesus is using present tense verbs here so as to say, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Jesus wants his followers to ask continually with persistence and perseverance. And then he promises that if we do, when we do, we will receive, we will find, and have doors open to us. Quite the promises. Big, if true. But that raises our major concern here. These promises often don't seem to be very true. Right? There are many prayers we pray that don't seem to be answered. At least how we ask. I, I, I prayed to pass an exam, but I failed. I prayed for love, but I'm still single. We prayed for children, but we keep getting disappointment and emptiness. I prayed for healing, but 
cancer spreading. Prayed for life, but got death. Prayed for peace. The world's full of war. Prayer doesn't seem to work. We ask, even, and keep on asking, but don't seem to receive. We seek God's favor, his grace, his blessing, but sometimes don't seem to find them. We knock on the door of heaven, and it seems like no one comes to the door. There's no one home. And then we get down in the dumps, right? Despairing. We, we grow disillusioned with prayer or with God. We feel like we're worse off than we were before we started praying. So what gives when we ask, just like Jesus said to, but God doesn't give? Well, let's first consider what Jesus was actually saying and promising here. Okay, Given what the rest of the Bible says about prayer and the need for persistent prayer, do you think that this was meant to be an absolute unconditional, universal promise? Does it guarantee that God will answer our prayer no matter what? No, it doesn't. As John Stott explains, it is absurd to suppose that the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That knock and it will be open to you is an open sesame to every closed door without exception. And that by the waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. The idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic, the person who prays into a magician like Aladdin, and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding like Aladdin's genie every time we rub our little prayer lamp. Repeat after me, okay? God is not my genie. God is my father. Just imagine the impossible strain you would feel if this were an unconditional promise. Like if you were certain that God would just give you everything you ever asked for, and he did... We aren't made to wield that kind of power or that kind of pressure. As Alec Motyer says, if it were the case that whatever we ask, God was pledged to give, then I, for one, would never pray again because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. And I think if you consider it, you will agree. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and in exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear the burden? Like what if you unintentionally asked for something bad? Or even intentionally did so? Looking back on my life, there are prayers that God gracious, many prayers that God graciously answered. And then there are many prayers that I'm thankful God didn't answer. I mean, I didn't know what was best for me then. Many times I still don't. I mean, if God had taken away every difficulty, would I have grown at all? 
if God had given me my every desire, how self-absorbed and prideful would I be now? I would have received plenty of things I'm sure I'd now regret and likely wouldn't have many of the gifts and blessings I so appreciate now. Thank God that God knows better than me. And thus, Stott concludes, certainly our Heavenly Father would never give us something harmful, even if we asked for it urgently and repeatedly for the simple reason that he gives his children only good gifts, as we'll read soon in verse 11. So then, if we ask for good things, he grants them. If we ask for things which are not good, either not good in themselves or not good for us or for others, directly or indirectly, immediately or ultimately, he denies them, and only he knows the difference. But then some of us may think, especially if you're like me and you think really deeply or logically about things, so why bother? Right? If God already knows what we need before we ask him, and he'll already only give us what is best for us, why bother to pray? We also may think this way when we see people receiving things who never prayed for them. Like they seem to be doing just fine without prayer. People can, seem, can appear to gain things through skill or their determination or resolve or hard work. And thus prayer can seem unnecessary, like wasted time and wasted breath. We think, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I don't need to pray for it. Here's the thing. Yes, there are certain things that God blesses people with, called his creation gifts, which he gives regardless of prayer, even regardless of whether people believe in him or not. Acts 17.25 says that he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And earlier in this very Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So yes, we can and we should pray for even these things, expressing our dependence on him. But his goodness extends far beyond our skill or our success in prayer. He's good to all. However, there is another kind of gift that God gives called his redemption gifts. And these gifts God does not just give to all people alike indiscriminately, but instead normally gives to those who submit themselves to asking for them. Greatest example is salvation. Romans 10 says that God is bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And after we're saved, there are many blessings that God the Father then gives his children, some of which he will only give us once we ask. And that teaches us dependence on him. It teaches us who we are in the grand scheme of things. 
And so when, when Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you, he's not just talking about physical, material blessings. Otherwise, the prosperity gospel would be right and true. He's primarily referring to spiritual blessings. Things like forgiveness, mercy, deliverance from evil, peace, faith, hope, love. And do you suppose it's mere coincidence that this promise to seek and you will find comes just eight verses after Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. In Luke's account of this teaching, he names the good things that God promises as the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside those who believe. Like These are the things we must pray for, ask him for, and these are the things that God is so eager to give. And when you think about it, receiving these things is better than anything else anyway. Would you really want a bunch of success if it meant that you were never forgiven of your sins? Would you really want the biggest house, the most money, without knowing the love of God? Would you really prefer having perfect health more than salvation, true life, Really, the, the promise given here is even better than we think it is because the blessings are better than we often aim for. It's not some lame guarantee for a genie who grants us our selfish, short-sighted wishes. It's a guarantee that we will receive God himself and the life and the joy that flows from God some of this is given to us graciously and generously right when we ask. Some of it is promised to be given to us one day in this life or in the life to come. But you can count on this being unfailingly true, proving true. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. In 1 John 5, one of Jesus' disciples who would have been here with Jesus on this day says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now that clarifies that God doesn't just give us whatever we may want in any given moment. He gives us what we ask, when our requests are according to his will. If it aligns with his plans for your life and for the world, your sanctification, your holiness, your eternal good, etc., then God is going to give you what you ask. And if you worry that your requests might not align with his will, don't worry about that. God knows the difference. 
He'll be able to sift through it all, no problem. Consider what Romans 8 says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Like we often, almost all the time, don't really know what to pray for, and yet we pray anyway. And the Spirit marvelously translates our requests so that God's will is done with them anyway. So, we should just start going up to God and asking for things? Well, yes. There are still things to consider, like whether we're asking with right motives As James warns us, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God is not interested in indulging our selfish passions. But I believe far more harm has been done by not praying at all than by praying imperfectly. So yes, start asking. And keep on asking. As you grow in your faith and your love for God and you learn more of his will, you'll learn more and more what to ask for and what not to ask for, as well as how to ask and when to ask and why to ask and so on. You'll learn that. But prayer is not magic. And neither is it a science. It's it's the heart-to-heart communication of a relationship between us and the Lord. So ask. So so what is it on your heart that the Spirit is prompting you to start praying for today? Or maybe to restart praying for? Maybe just jot it down right now, if you can. Is your request something God wants to give you? Do you believe God can grant it? Do you genuinely want to receive it from God? Then ask away. Seek. Knock. And recognize that when you do, you are exercising your faith. And I believe that's a core component of Jesus' whole point here. Like, why else would Jesus say, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, if not to stir up and build up our faith? So I'll add, we can and should approach God with our prayer requests in bold, confident faith. Let's approach God with our prayers in bold, confident faith. Believe this, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Now I've added many of the necessary qualifiers and nuances already, but unfortunately those can actually detract from what Jesus is wanting to inspire here. He wants us to pray and ask, not with reason qualifiers or tepid reassurances, but to pray and ask with boldness and confidence. In other words, faith. 
Last week, I was frustrated by searching for something that I couldn't find. We have this little miniature precision screwdriver that someone misplaced, and I searched all over the place with no luck. Ended up just going and buying another one. Jesus is saying that we never need to feel that kind of frustration with God. Even if we have to keep on seeking for a long time. Many prayers, many years, we will eventually find what we're looking for in the Lord. We don't need to be frustrated. We don't need to be afraid. You and I need to know in our hearts that when we call upon the Lord, He hears us. We need to know that when we ask God to forgive us and cleanse us and save us, that He will. We need to know that our Father is now welcoming us in, with open arms to approach Him. That He's not waiting there to pounce on us or condemn us or punish us, but to embrace us. We need to, to know that God understands us and sympathizes with our every need. We need to know that Christ lived, died, and rose again to make all this a reality for us. And we know these things by faith. Will you profess faith and cling to your faith today? Like, because of Jesus, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence to receive, to Find. Ring a bell. The door is opened because of Jesus. We, not, we need not feel shy or timid. We are unworthy no longer. We can approach God in confident faith. Don't believe it yet? His promise still seemed too good to be true. Jesus finishes here with an illustration that hopefully speaks to our hearts today. And through it, we will see that we can and should approach God with our prayer requests in bold, confident faith because his fatherly heart is inclined to bless us. We ask in faith because God's fatherly heart is inclined toward blessing us. When you pray, do you imagine that God is reluctant to answer you? That he has to be convinced? Do you picture him as a begrudging giver? Do you tend to think that he's holding out on you? Jesus' words correct us on all of these accounts. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then look at verse 9. Or which, of you, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, 
we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Now, anyone who's a parent knows the answer to those rhetorical questions. If, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? No one! Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent? Absolutely not! My toddler son often comes up asking me for a snack all day long, and I often do tell him no. But when he's hungry at mealtime, do I ever tell him that he doesn't get to eat? No. Do I ever play a a cruel prank on him by giving him something non-edible? Here's a rock. Bon appetit. Or even worse, do I give my children something positively dangerous or harmful? You want chicken for dinner? Well, here's a live venomous snake. Sorry, no props today. Those are utterly ridiculous pictures. No decent parent would even dream of doing these things. So why would we ever believe God would do anything of the sort? That's Jesus' point here. Verse 11, he says, If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. How much more? Like no parent gives evil gifts, and good parents give good gifts to their kids all the time. Not just at birthdays or Christmas. Every day we give to our children, and God is far greater, infinitely greater than any human parent. Like multiply the attitude of a good human parent that he describes here by infinity, and you get God's attitude towards his children. Do you believe That God is your Father. Your perfect Father, of whom every flawed Father on earth is a dim shadow. Do good fathers love their children? Do you believe that God loves you? I mean, it takes faith. But boy, do we ever need to have faith in this truth. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that our central trouble is that we do not know as we ought to that God is our Father. If only we got hold of this, we could smile in the face of every possibility and eventuality that lies ahead of us. He will give you only that which is good. In our folly, we are apt to think that God is against us when something unpleasant happens to us. But God is our Father, and as our Father, He will never give us anything that is evil. Never. It is impossible. Listen, God is far more inclined to hear us and give to us than we are to ask of Him. Believe that. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those 
who ask him. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The greatest gift from above, of course, being that he gave us life through his Son. And if you don't feel like God has given many good things to you, Allow me to say this with as much compassion as I can muster. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Even if you don't yet believe in Jesus as Lord, God's blessed you with physical life. He's placed you on his beautiful earth given you every breath in your lungs, placed you in a family and in a community, imperfect though they may be. He sustained you with with common graces of weather, food, drink, and rest. He is your creator, though you may not yet be able to call him your father. I hope that changes today and that you put your faith in him to love and to save you. And to those who have received Christ, believing in him, and thus having become children of God. He's given you so much abundantly more. The Father gave up his one and only Son. Christ the Son gave his body over to death, gave all his lifeblood for our sake. We are then given God the Spirit to live in us, to make us more like Christ, which really gives us everything we require for living the way of Jesus. Everything we need. To put it simply, God gave us himself. Open your eyes. He's given us everything. How could we ever doubt his inclination to give to us now? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Tim Keller says that God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. We know as we pray for good things that we already have the ultimate good thing. In God himself, we have the headwaters and source of all we desire, even if one of the tributaries of our joy, something in this world that we love, goes dry. We can trust that our Father will only give us good things, whatever is ultimately best for us. And in what I see as an astonishing twist, we know he will hear our prayers and answer us because of the times that he didn't answer Jesus' prayers. In the garden, Jesus prayed that the cup of his suffering would be taken away from him. It wasn't. The answer to that prayer request was a clear no. It wasn't God's will. 
on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, and was yet forsaken. And Keller asks, how could that be? How could that be? Sinners deserve to have their prayers go unanswered. Jesus was the only human being in history who deserved to have all his prayers answered because of his perfect life. Yet he was turned down. Why? The answer, of course, is in the gospel. God treated Jesus as we deserve. He took our penalty so that when we believe in him, God can then treat us as Jesus deserved. More specifically, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we could have food at the Father's table. That is why when Christians pray, they have the confidence that they will be heard by God and answered in the wisest way. There has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his or her children as much as your Father in heaven wants joy for you, his child. Can you believe that? Living in the way of Jesus means living under the Father's constant loving care. Praise the Lord. Once we truly see and grasp what God has already given for us and given to us, the real question becomes not whether God is ready to give, but whether we are ready to receive. Are you? Then ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. And whenever we struggle to have faith in the promise, in the power, or in the love of God, There's another biblical prayer that is appropriate for us to pray. I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. And as we do, just take a moment. And if either what the Spirit prompted you earlier or even now to bring to the Lord, go ahead and bring that to His throne. You have access You come before him through Christ, and he wants to hear you. So bring that to him. Father, you hear your children's prayers. You hear their hearts, their words. Would you answer these requests in the way 
that you know is best. May your will be done. Lord, we, we confess our trust today, our faith in you. Despite the, our doubts, despite the difficulties that do come into our lives, despite the evil one trying to pull us from you, we confess you as Lord. You are sovereign and you are good. Please give us faith to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray.